0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Uh, We're in some amazing times, aren't we? I was uh, this morning just incensed listening to Bernie Sanders grill somebody on their Christian faith. That is wrong. It should not take place. It is unconstitutional. It is not what America is about. Amen? Amen. Good grief. But we are in the end times. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think we look at the attacks on Christianity not in terms of just the political pressure within our country, but also through the world and the persecution that is taking place. And we look at the different things like globalism that are happening. And these globalists who don't even want countries to have borders. Folks, surely we understand that's part of the end times, right? We could get on to a political mantra here, but I think what my fear is, is that we think this is a political issue. This is a belief system. This is about religion. This is about what people think and believe at the very core of who they are. And if, as the church, we don't stand up and say something about this, that it's not just separation of church and state, it is what you believe, and it is rooted and grounded in either truth or non-truth. That's the issue. And we, as believers, have an amazing opportunity to stand up for the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is our time to do just that. Let's do it. I got to get off my hobby horse here. I'm sorry. But I I really am, and I got to be honest with you, I'm angry about this. The Bible says, be angry, yet do not sin. So we don't want to cross a line. We know people need the Lord, we know that. We know that there's a lot of hurting people that have gone through terrible issues and terrible circumstances, and unfortunately, in many, many instances, Christians have judged and undercut and undermined the very gospel that we say that we so want to laud to this world. We know that. But the reality of it is, folks, we are in a spiritual war that is indescribable in this day and in this age and we as believers had better yield to Christ Jesus in every area of our lives our lives are not our own our lives are for the Lord we are conduits Christ's life being made manifest through us and the question is are we living in such a way that if we're accused of loving the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart and soul and mind would there be enough evidence to convict us of it That's the issue. We talk about money. Folks, it's not our money. It's not our money. It's God's money. The question is, what does he want to do with it? Material stuff, our time, it's not ours. It's his. He's the Lord of all. And he holds all things in his hands. And he has a plan. And nobody can stand against him. Nobody will thwart him In the midst of what he has decreed will take place. Do we believe that? Do we believe it? Are we living it day by day, yielding to him moment by moment? I'm not talking about perfection. Heaven knows. I trip and stumble. Amen. Anybody else with me on this? But at the same time, we say, you know what? Lord, my life is yours. And whatever it is that you choose to do with it, that's a okay with me because it's a privilege. to experience you, to know you, get to, get to know you even more and to grow in you and to experience you who you truly are. Not only in me as you transform me, but through me as you begin to manifest your life into whatever context that you have allowed me to be within. Folks, that's, that's the attitude. That's the idea here. We are in the end times. We, I believe, are absolutely in the Laodicean age, the last church. We are in a time. Where we are watching literally prophecy take place before our eyes. Now, let's get into this because normally I have five pages of notes and I got (laughs) 10. So, one of the things I love about um, just walking through these things is wherever you stop, that's where I'll pick up next time. You know what I'm saying? So, it's all good, okay? But let's go through a few things because I wanted to take some time and just kind of walk through some of the birth pangs the birth pangs. I like how Dr. Andy Wood said it in our eschatology conference seminar this past year. He said, when you see uh, the Christmas signs, you know Thanksgiving's near. Do you remember that? I thought that was a really good way of putting it. I believe, and we're gonna talk about this in the next couple weeks, but I believe the rapture is a signless event and I believe it takes place before the tribulation, okay? In the midst of that, we know that there are certain circumstances that have been prophesied that must take place before the tribulation actually begins. The birth pangs. So when we talk about this from a a linear moment, a historical moment, you have the church age, at some point you have the rapture, and at some point, some of these things, these birth pangs are going to take place prior to the signing of the covenant, which actually has to take place, one of the birth pangs, for the tribulation, the 70-year period of time, the great tribulation, if you want to call it that, to take place. And I believe we are in those times. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Verses 1 and following. Matthew 24, 1 and following. The birth pangs leading to the tribulation clearly have begun. And folks, we ought to be alert as to the return of the Lord. We ought to be alert. We ought to do what Paul told the Roman believers, and that is wake up knowing that our time is near. Salvation is nearer than when we first began. There's no question about that. And I think we need to be carefully weighing what's going on in our world and making sure that we're yielded to Christ in the midst of it. Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Jesus came out from the temple, was going away when his disciples came up to the point out, of, point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Now that was... Uh, earth-shattering to these guys, because if you've ever been to Israel and you've seen the stones, they are enormous. We're not just talking about, you know, a small little fence made out of stone. We're talking about huge rocks that had been carefully put into place, and so the idea that not one stone was going to be standing on itself was earth-shattering. Verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom, against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, speaking of a woman going through uh, all the pain that she goes through prior to giving birth. Let, let's start off and let's understand that the Lord is speaking about Israel, the millennium, He's not speaking at this moment, in effect, to the church. I like how Walvert and Zook put this in their commentary on Revelation. The questions related to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the sign of the Lord's coming in the end of the age, they have nothing to do with the church. The church is not present in any sense in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. The disciples' questions related to Jerusalem, Israel, and the Lord's second coming in glory to establish his kingdom. So understand the context. The Lord is speaking to these Jewish believers about Jewish things. The Daniel's 70th week is a Jewish thing. It's for the Jews. It's for Israel. The tribulation is for Israel. That's absolutely essential to understand when we talk about end times, prophecies about the end, eschatology. In Luke chapter 21 and 20, which is a a sister passage to the Matthew discourse, the Olivet discourse, he speaks to the surrounding of Jerusalem as giving the sign regarding the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in 70 A.D., there was a destruction of Israel and all the stones and all the different temple mount and all, everything was destroyed by the Romans who came in because of the rebellion of the Jew, Jews at that particular point in time. That's been fulfilled. But in Matthew, particularly verses 4 through 8 of chapter 24, we're dealing with the characteristics of this age and what to expect as the birth pangs concerning the end of the age. Verse 4, Jesus answered, said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. And then there's this phrase, But that is not yet the end. In other words, our age, our day, is characterized by wars and rumors of wars, of false Christs. We have seen this all along. That's not yet the end. There will be these wars. There will be these skirmishes. There will be these wars between some of the nations. There will be false messiahs or false Christs, but the Lord says that's not yet the end. But then he goes into verses 7 through 8, and we have at least three things which indicate the beginning of the completion or the end of this age. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes. In other words, there will be worldwide war. There will be famines and earthquakes and that is what is the beginning of the birth pangs. Well, there's at least nine birth pangs, nine prophecies leading up to the tribulation. Three of them have already happened, they've been fulfilled, and the rest, the other six, are still prophetic in nature. So let's walk through this. Where does World War I and World War II fit into this? World War I began in 1914, and we were introduced, thrown into a century that has been unprecedented in human history. And I believe these are specifically what the Lord was speaking of in the Olivet Discourse when he talks about the nation rising against the nation, the kingdom against kingdoms. Whether it's Matthew 24, whether it's Mark 13, whether it's Luke chapter 21, this is what the Lord was talking about. World War I led to the rise of Zionism, and World War II, which was simply an extension of the First World War, led to the reestablishing of Israel as a state, which is an absolute key prophetic moment with regard to the end times. I don't know if you've ever really studied World War I and World War II. I just got finished a book a week ago about World War II and an individual that was actually in Poland helping uh, rescue American POWs because the Russians had refused to help them get back home. Indescribable. When you talk about World War I, there's approximately 135 countries that were involved in World War I, and nine million people were killed. World War I, trench warfare, all quiet on the Western front, have you read that? Indescribable, the gas, all the stuff that they went through, it's, it's, it's indescribable. In World War II, almost every country in the world was involved. Think about that. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Almost every country in the world was involved in World War II. Estimated 70 million people were killed. 70 million people. America alone had 16 million people serve in the war. Some of you, I believe, are still here today, thank God your service. An estimated six to eight million Jews were killed during World War II. That's unimaginable. Places like Auschwitz, Buchenwald, Dachau, Sobibor, and many other camps became infamous monuments of satanic evil targeted directly at the Jewish people. I've been to Israel three times, been blessed to do that with Gail and Reggie and the groups that have gone, and going through the Holocaust Museum. Wow. Indescribable. Indescribable. The horror and the evil that took place is beyond the ability to put it into words, to describe Not only Germany, but Russia and all the nations who have been anti-Semitic will be judged for persecuting the Jewish people. The rise of the United Nations took place after World War II, setting the stage for the Ten Horns and or the Kingdoms of the tribulation. The one world government and the 10 kingdoms of that one world government that the Antichrist ultimately will rule over. And of course, along with the world wars is the rise of famines and earthquakes. In 1918 through 19, 23 million people died, Of a pestilence. In 1920, the great Chinese famine, over 30 million people died. In 1921 through 22, the great Russian famine, over 5 million people died. Those are estimates. In 1984, 1 million Ethiopians died due to famine. I mean, on and on and on. The number of earthquakes since the beginning of the 19th century has increased dramatically dramatically. Most of the world's earthquakes, this is a quote from uh, the U.S. Geological Survey, the National Earthquake Information Center, most of the world's earthquakes began to occur since 1900. Think about that. You think that's by accident? I don't. In the 18th century, there were 640 major earthquakes recorded. 19th century,, 2119 major earthquakes. As to the writing of Fruchtenbaum's book, where he puts a lot of this information from the U.S. Geological Survey in it, in the 20th century, 900,000 earthquakes have been recorded one every hour. Wow, the birth pangs. I could go on and on about that. I was in Sumatra in Indonesia, which was very near where the epicenter of the tsunami of 2004 took place, the earthquake that caused the tsunami. And just walking through Sumatra, the island there, and looking at the homes and the devastation that had taken place because of that earthquake. They hadn't been hit by the tsunami. The earthquake is what hit them. And I tell you, folks, it is indescribable to see the pain and the suffering World War I and World War II are the beginning of the birth pangs. And they are a direct fulfillment of the prophecy the Lord gave, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and the famines and the earthquakes. The second, as a result of World War II, you have Israel as a regathered nation in 1948. Let me just walk through several passages in Ezekiel with you. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 through 34. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. Or Ezekiel 36. 22 and following where he says, therefore says, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, but I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Obviously, some of this looks towards the millennium. But there is a gathering for the sake of wrath, for purification of Israel. And I think the reconstituted nation of Israel after World War II is a direct fulfillment of that prophecy. In Ezekiel 11:17, again, there's a gathering for the sake of discipline, for cleansing, for the sake of restoration. But in Ezekiel eleven seventeen and following, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, speaking of Israel, obviously, and I will give you the land of Israel. When they come here, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. Speaking again of the regathering of Israel for the sake of discipline for the sake of purification in order that they would have a new heart a heart of flesh speaking of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as they believe in their Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ a healed land speaking of the millennium that they will inherit the land of Israel that God will make sure that they are given and that they will put away they will no longer worship the detestable things of this earth they will worship the one God himself Israel's Coming together as a nation is another prophecy fulfilled regarding the birth pangs as we look towards the coming tribulation, the coming judgment that God will bring on this earth. Another one is Israel's control over the old city, if you want to think of it that way, Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 9 speaks to the firm covenant uh, that the Antichrist makes with Israel And talks about the abomination of desolation in the middle of the week, in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. This abomination of desolation takes place in the temple. Therefore, there must be a temple there, which means Israel must be in control over the old city. Revelation 11, chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, speaks of the temple itself as John is told to measure it out. Clearly, in order for a working temple to be in place, the third temple or the tribulation temple, Israel needs to be in control of Jerusalem. This control ultimately came about after the Six-Day War in 1967 when Israel seized control of the old city, which is biblical Jerusalem. Check. 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 Think about that. Well, now we get into some of the more future things, the things that haven't taken place. Folks, I can't help but look around and say they're going to happen soon. I don't think it's any accident that all this conversation is about Russia. I don't think that's by accident. I don't think Iran is an accident. I don't think what's going on in this world is by accident. I think God is absolutely supremely sovereign over it. He didn't cause it. He doesn't make evil happen, but he will bring good out of it. And evil will never thwart God's good plan. Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog. Ezekiel 38. How many of you studied this? (laughs) Well, oh man, that was weak. 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 (laughs) Uh, Revelation 20 talks about Gog and Magog at the end of the millennium. And I honestly always thought, in my mind, Gog and Magog was taking place at the end of the millennium. When you get into the details of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, you begin to find that there are some pretty significant differences between what is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 versus Revelation chapter 20. They cannot be the same, in my opinion. They cannot be the same event which means that it's very absolutely possible that Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 is taking place prior to the tribulation. Think about that. I like what John MacArthur says about this. Some believe that Ezekiel 38 and 39 describe this battle at the end of the millennium. He's speaking of Revelation chapter 20 and the the event listed there at the very end of the millennium. He says, there are, however, significant differences that argue against equating the two events. Amen. The post-millennium view with regard to Revelation 20 passage cannot be Ezekiel 38 because in Ezekiel 38 we're told that the attack against Israel or Jerusalem comes directly from the north whereas in Revelation chapter 28 we're told Gog and Magog is uh, Israel's attack from all over the world from the four corners of the earth to be precise and obviously those are some pretty major discrepancies. There's other reasons as well. Who's involved in Ezekiel 38, the Gog and Magog, what does that even mean? We don't talk that way anymore. I mean, I don't go around and say, hey, Gog, how you doing? I mean, I don't say that Do you. Magog, what is Magog? Well, in Ezekiel 38, 1 through 2, we find out that Gog is a title of a leader. It's not a a person. It's not a, a nation. It's the title, like a czar, if you want to think of the czar. It's a title. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. So, first thing we learn is Gog is the title of a leader. He's the leader of a particular nation, the prince of Rosh. Magog is a land or it's an area. Rosh, Meshik, Tubal, and the other nations listed in this passage is are areas. We would say Rosh is present-day Russia. You would catch that. Meshik is present-day Moscow. Many believe that's exactly where the name Moscow for the capital of Russia has come from. Tubal. Is a city in Siberia that I will not even begin to try to pronounce. <laughs> the modern nation of Russia encompasses these specific areas. And in Ezekiel 38.6, it's very specifically stated that the attack will be from the north, from the remotest parts of the north with all its troops. If you draw a line from Jerusalem to Moscow, it's almost directly due north. Fascinating. Fruchtenbaum puts it this way. He says, From Israel, the uttermost parts of the north is Russia, with Moscow being almost a straight line due north from Jerusalem. Hence, Russia is the leader of the northern confederacy with Gog as the leader of Russia. But that's not all, folks. In Ezekiel 38, we are also given in verses 5 through 6 a list of other nations that form this confederacy. Persia, Ethiopia, and Putt with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer with all its troops, and there's another one that i just i'm going to act like i know how to say this togarma right beth togarma is that right from the remote parts of the north with all its troops many people with you so included in this northern alliance with russia is persia which is present day iran ethiopia or some of you have have the translation where ethiopia is not there but kush is the word that's used that's ethiopia put which is somalia Gomer, which is Germany, or parts of Germany, and Pet- beth Togerma, which is Armenia. Think about this. This is a northern alliance with Russia that is coming directly against Israel. Fruchtenbaum puts it this way, "'An answer as to who is involved in this confederacy, "'it is Russia and the allied states of Iran, "'Ethiopia, Somalia, Germany, and Armenia.'" I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on in our world today, but I'm amazed at what's going on. And when I start reading off that list of nations, and I look at how the leader of Germany is coming against America right now, there's no other way to say it, folks. That's what's happening. I don't care whether you're a Trump supporter or not. The reality of it is we have a satanic moment that is taking place where the birth pangs have already begun and we are, what happens when somebody is in labor? Do the birth pangs lessen the longer the time goes on or do they increase in intensity and rapidity? We are coming close. The question is, are we ready? Are we watching what's going on? And are we aware that in the midst of this, literally the Lord could come back at any moment? And are we ready to see our Lord face to face? Are we ready for that? Well, there's a one-world government that has to take place. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24, the fourth beast, which is a one-world government... Specifically, he says the fourth fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all the kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. That has to happen before the tribulation takes place. The 10 kingdoms that are mentioned In verse 24, the rise of the ten kings out of these ten kingdoms. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. That has to take place before the tribulation begins. This is a worldwide government. We've thought about, well, what about the uh, economic community in Europe? Is that... Reestablish, no, this is a one world government that there are 10 divisions of the world government. There are 10 kingdoms, there are 10 kings that rise up out of this, which ultimately the Antichrist will rule over the entire world. It is not just one section. Europe, it is not just one section, the West or the South, it doesn't matter, you can put it into whatever way you want, there are ten kingdoms that will arise out of this one world government and be a part of the one world government that the Antichrist comes in to take over and rule. Well, obviously, the reign of the Antichrist is something that has to be fulfilled, Out of this one world government, the ten horns, the ten kings will come one who will rule. And Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. Uh, the second part of that verse makes that clear. Another will rise after them. He will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses one through three speaks of the rise of the Antichrist's power and the revelation of who he is. He says, let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. Oh. In the midst of the time immediately before the tribulation there must be a period of false peace and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 speaks to that. He says, as to the time, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonian believers, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. So not only is there the rise of the Antichrist, there's also a period of false peace that takes place directly before the signing of the covenant, which is the last birth pang, which at that moment, the signing of the covenant by the Antichrist with the Jewish leaders concerning the peace, this false peace, at that moment, a clock begins. And that's called the seven-year period of the tribulation or the great tribulation or Daniel's 70th week and Daniel 9:27 is a firm covenant he will make a firm covenant with many for one week there's your treaty all these signs the first 3 which have occurred the last 6 which are yet to be fulfilled are necessary prior to the beginning of the tribulation folks i believe we are dead square right in the middle of this and i believe things are rapidly rapidly picking up pace, and the question is, are we aware and are we ready to see our Lord face to face because I believe the Lord Jesus Christ could come back at any time during any one of those birth pangs. Those birth pangs are not necessary to take place before the return of the Lord to get his church. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and following says this, Do this knowing the time. Knowing the time. That it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Are we awake as believers? Do we understand the times are we walking day by day in anticipation of the Lord's return? And how does the activity of our lives reflect what we say we believe? When we say we believe something, shouldn't our actions coincide with that? The truth is our actions should be an outflow of what we believe. Is that the case? Is that true? How are we living our lives where the testimony of God's grace is being revealed through us? How are we aware of the people around us that are hurting, that don't have hope? How are we loving one another as a church body? How are we serving one another, helping one another, participating in the things that the Lord has for us? By his strength, by his power, thank God that he lives within us to do through us what we cannot do on our own. But the question is, how are we yielding to him in the midst of this season, day by day, moment by moment, so that not only are we being transformed from the inside, but that that transformation is being revealed through us as the life of Christ is revealed to others around us. All wrapped in the package of his love, because that's who God is. Boy, folks, I don't know, I ran through this, and I know it's a whole lot of information. But I'll tell you what, I'm passionate about this. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is coming, and he's coming soon. And I literally believe that he could come at any moment. And it's been a challenge in my life to look at my life and say, Eric, is everything that you're doing really about the Lord, or is it about you? Is everything about your life in response to whatever the Lord has for me, for you, as I talk to myself. I think that's a question all of us need to ask. Because this time of tribulation, it's unlike any other time in human history. It's horrific, horrific. The question is, how are we being used of the Lord to serve him within the body of Christ, one another, as well as to bring a testimony of God's grace and his goodness, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to those all around us who have no hope, who have no security in their future because they don't know Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast.